You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1887th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 14th of July 2022. The editor of this edition is Graham Parley, the producer is Ruth Hill and your readers are Graham Parley and Sue Cunningham-Snell. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. And we commence, as usual, with the headlines. And, Graham, you have the first one, I think. OK. Grossly unfair power cable can go undersea, say MPs. Shoppers defy national trends as they flock to regions' high streets. Bomb squad called after live explosive given to charity shop. Business Park to create a 100 jobs and solve traffic issues. So I'll start, and it's uh, grossly unfair power cable can go under sea, say MPs. A string of East Anglian MPs have called for the consultation on a row of pylons set to carve up the Norfolk countryside to be reopened. The MPs say residents should be able to express a meaningful choice over the proposed route, arguing people in the east are not getting the same level of choice as the north. National Grid's controversial East Anglia Green project would see a line of 50 metre high structures run from Dunstan, just south of Norwich, to Tilbury in Essex. The letter signed by 14 MPs, including Norfolk MPs George Freeman, Jerome Mayhew, Richard Bacon and Duncan Baker was sent to Greg Hans, the government minister responsible for energy. The utility company says the scheme is needed to build more capacity in the UK's power network to help the country achieve its goal of net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Zach Richardson, the National Grid's company director of new infrastructure, has previously said the firm does not believe it is technically feasible or economic for the line to go offshore. The MPs, led by James Cartledge, the South Suffolk MP, have said the plans have caused deep consternation across Norfolk, Suffolk and Essex, arguing constituents have been denied a choice. The group criticises National Grid for refusing to consider the undersea route as an option in the east of England, while justifying going offshore in the north. Mr Cartledge's letter said, National Grid are justifying going undersea off the north precisely to protect communities in the way we are denied even discussing in East Anglia. We are sure you will agree that this represents a gross unfairness with one approach in one part of the UK and one in another. And yet, all our constituents are bill payers funding this infrastructure and surely deserve equal treatment. They asked Mr Hans to intervene and restart the consultation so residents do not feel like second-class citizens. A National Grid spokesman said the utilities body has considered offshore options where appropriate, but with costs being passed on to the consumer, spending needs to represent value for money. He said an undersea power line from Scotland to England was proposed as the most cost-efficient option in the timescales needed for delivery, but was not appropriate for Norfolk. There will be further opportunities to comment on the East Anglian proposals before the 2024 submission to government inspectors. The region's retail bosses have reported a rise in the number of shoppers to their stores, bucking the national trend which shows visits falling. 
National data from the British Retail Consortium, known as the BCR, indicates that the number of visits to the UK's high streets has fallen by 13.9% since 2019, the last year before the pandemic. Locally, however, retail centres reported strong growth in visitor figures. Norwich Royal Arcade, home to a range of shops including an artisan chocolate store and interior designer, said footfall for the week starting June the 27th was 15.6% at 6,000, up on the previous week. Although unable to provide comparison figures for 2019, Simon Ashdown, he's the director of the LPC1, which manages the arcade, said it had been a continual increase in footfall numbers this year. And he added, the combination of new shops opening the presence of the Arcadia Arbreak Go-Go Discover Treks good weather, and events like the Lord Mayor's Procession and the Norwich Lanes Fair are proving to make Norwich City Centre a real destination for shoppers and people looking for entertainment and good hospitality. We are looking forward to footfall continuing its upwards journey throughout the summer as more new shops open in the arcade and more events are held in the city centre. Norwich has a unique mix of independents and national retailers operating side by side in a beautiful city, which is also a great attraction for tourists as well. Bury St Edmunds has also experienced a strong increase in retail visits from the last few months. Mark Cordell, Chief Executive Officer at our Bury St Edmunds Business Improvement District, which represents retailers in the town, said that the footfall during April and May was about above 2019 levels. Mr Cordell added, Our varied offer including history, culture, entertainment, mix of independent and national businesses and being the foodie town of Suffolk are all contributory factors to our continuing success. Oh, that was a lovely head story. Yeah. Mm. Does that mean you're going to go out and do some more shopping? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Now, I'm actually going out of area, in other words, Norfolk, for this story, but I thought it was an interesting one. Bomb squad called after live explosive given to charity shop. A charity shop was evacuated and the bomb squad called in after a live First World War explosive was found in a batch of donations. Emergency services swarmed the Priscilla Bacon Hospice retail warehouse in Drayton on Thursday after a shocked volunteer discovered the explosive item while sorting through a donated batch of First World War memorabilia. The warehouse was immediately evacuated with the 15 staff rushed outside to safety. The junction of Low Road and Hospital Lane in Hillesden was also closed off by police after the alarming discovery which was later revealed to be live. The revelation came about after a volunteer found the unusual item and passed it to eBay's retail team who sell specialist items for Priscilla Bacon. During the team's research, an image of the item was shared with a military specialist. The expert responded with an urgent message to the charity stating the item was a fuse section from an artillery shell. They added it appeared to be a live explosive and could be potentially volatile as it was more than 100 years old. The scale of the subsequent controlled explosion indicated that the shell had been live. Our primary concern was to evacuate our staff and volunteers from the warehouse, along with making sure that neighbouring properties could also be safe, said Jordan Codling, retail business manager for the Priscilla Bacon Hospice Charity. We immediately informed the emergency services and police officers were dispatched from Tavram Police Station. Upon arrival, the police cordoned off the area and subsequently closed the low road, pending the arrival of the Ministry of Defence Explosive Ordnance Disposal Team, 
who were blue-lighted from Colchester. The bomb squad undertook X-ray analysis of the artillery shell, which proved inconclusive, as it appeared not to be of British origin. They elected to transport the shell to a farmer's field in Low Road for detonation. Mr Codling continued, We are incredibly grateful to the police and explosive ordnance disposal team for their swift actions to make safe this artillery shell. The Drayton Warehouse is open between 10am and 3pm Monday to Friday. The charity is continuing to raise the final 2.2 million necessary to complete build a new Priscilla Bacon adjacent to the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital. More than a hundred new jobs are set to be created by plans to expand an industrial area at a former airfield on the edge of a Suffolk village. Developers say the 91-acre project will also include a new roundabout access off the A143 direct to the business site, removing the HGV traffic travelling through Stanton. Community consultation on the proposals for land at Shepherd's Grove Industrial Estate at Stanton will be held this week by developer Janik. The site, which will be known as Stanton Business Park, will be built on land allocated as part of a rural employment area by West Suffolk Council on the former airfield between existing industrial estates Shepherd's Grove East and Shepherd's Grove West. In line with the Council's planning policy for the site, the plans include a new roundabout and access road from the A143 linking through to Grove Lane, providing all the industrial estate HGV traffic that currently travels through Stanton Village with a new, safer and more direct route from the A143 to Shepherd's Grove West. Around two-thirds of the site will be occupied by Copart for the storage, distribution and processing of accident damage and non-damaged motor vehicles. Copart expects to provide up to 90 full-time jobs. Four further plots are allocated in the plans for commercial roadside uses and general employment, around 10 acres in total, providing additional jobs. The plans will be available to see at a drop-in public consultation event on Thursday, July the 21st, from 3pm to 8pm at Stanton Village Hall. The recreation ground, Oldbury Road, Stanton. Members of the project team will be able to discuss the proposals and answer questions. Feedback will be invited up to August the 19th. JNIC will then consider the feedback before finalising the plans and submitting a planning application to West Suffolk Council in the autumn. JNIC has been involved in a number of developments in the region, including at Suffolk Park in Bury St Edmunds, where it currently has 283,000 square feet of property under construction, including a warehouse pre-let to Irvery and is also the development manager at Gateway 14 Stowmarket, where the company has recently exchanged contracts with The Range for a 1.17 metre square foot distribution hub, subject to planning. Plans to demolish a former Barclays Bank branch in Bury St Edmunds and replace it with a three-storey apartment block have been unveiled. The branch in Tollgate Lane closed in December 2002 and an outline planning application for the proposed redevelopment was now being submitted to West Suffolk Council. The application submitted by Stanthorne Limited is seeking approval for the demolition of the building and construction of nine residential flats and associated parking on communal areas. Speaking at the time of the closure, Barclay said increases in online banking had led to a fall in branch visits. A spokesman for the bank said, In 2020, the decision to close a branch is never an easy one. However, customers are increasingly using alternative branches to their bank to do their banking. 
As a result, we are seeing a sustained fall in branch visits across the UK. This is reflected at the Tollgate branch, where there has been a 15% reduction in counter-transactions. In addition, almost 78% of our customers at the branch are also using different ways to bank. Stanthorne bought the site following the announcement of the closure and decided a small block of flats would represent the best solution for the site, according to planning documents. Plans for the site show a central access point from the Tollgate Lane for vehicles and pedestrians, with that access leading to the forecourt parking area, which would also house cycle parking and bin storage. A communal garden is proposed to the back of the site with sufficient space for residents to dry clothing. The design and access statement concludes the proposals will provide much-needed quality residential accommodation to a former brownfield site in the middle of an established residential area. Its location, close to both amenities and public transport links, make it an ideal site to be re redeveloped for residential use. The application was validated on July the 4th and is pending consideration. Global wheat production can be doubled, scientists believe. An international team led from Rothamsted Research said the genetic yield gap could be closed by developing wheat varieties tailored to each region using the vast genetic variation available in global and historical wheat gene banks with modern techniques such as speed breeding and gene editing. Dr. Mikhail Seminov and Dr. Nimanai Senapati, who co-led this study, define a crop's genetic yield potential as the highest yield achievable by an idealist variety, with plants with an optimal genome able to capture water, sunlight and nutrients more efficiently than any other. Currently, wheat cultivars are on average only at the halfway point with respect to the yields they could produce, given the mismatches between their genetics and local wheat growing conditions, said Dr. Seminov. Global wheat productions could be doubled by the genetic improvements of local wheat cultivars without increasing global wheat area. Using existing data on the contribution of different genes of individual plant traits, such as size, shape, metabolism and growth, researchers ran millions of computer simulations to design perfect wheat plants tailored to their local environments. Wheat was first domesticated about 11,000 years ago, but despite this, and not to mention the sequencing of its entire genome in 2018, the crop is still some way from being at its genetic best, said Dr. Semenov. This is another article which is in Norfolk, but it's still uh, an interesting one given the times that we are in. A town's bowls club faces closure after a 1,200% rent, rent hike in its green. The GW Stanisforth Bowls Club in Thetford has been told its rent is increasing from £300 to £3,900 a year by its landlord, the Stanisforth Trust. The 55-strong club, which was founded in 1951, says it can't afford it. Both the Bowls Club and the Trust are named after George Wilde Stanisforth, who died in 1947, leaving his home... King's House, its gardens and its £77,728 fortune, which would be around £3 million today, to the town of Thetford. Staniforth was a keen bowler and the club's green standards in the grounds of his former home. The Staniforth Trust chairman said he did not want to see the club fold and it should come back to the trust and offer what it could afford. Bowls Club Secretary John Wright said, This has come at the wrong time for many of our members. We are only just recovering from COVID, both as a club and individually. We have an elder demographic who need a bit of confidence before our return to a full social scene again, not a rent rise of 1,200%. 
The financial reality is subs would need to rise from the current £50 a year to £150 a year. With the cost of living crisis in full swing, this is completely unfeasible. If the club does not fold, Thetford would be the biggest town in England without a bowling green. After 71 years, it would be such a loss. Trust chairman Stuart Wright said the decision to increase the bowls club rent was agreed by a majority of the trust's trustees after an independent valuation of the site in the King's House Gardens. I would hope we could come to some sort of compromise, he added. They need to make their case, say this is what we can afford, and throw that back for the Stanforth Trust to consider. I believe any offer the Bowles Club come up with should be considered by the trustees again. Mr Wright from the Bowles Club said, We want to carry on as a Bowles Club. We're prepared to pay a rent increase, but we're not prepared to pay 1,200% increase. Breckland councillor Stuart Terry said, Stanathos was like a bowler. The treat to the Bowles Club like this seems wrong. A residence parking scheme looks set to go ahead in Newmarket, but only after the town council agreed to cough up more than £18,000 if it didn't. At the end of the last year's members of around 900 households in the All Saints area of the town were asked whether they supported the scheme, which would cost them around £60 a year for parking permit, with a money raise helping to meet the costs of enforcement. The results showed all streets surveyed for the scheme except residents of Warrington Street and the Avenue where the 50% in favour threshold was not reached. The scheme will be implemented by West Suffolk District Council. and Suffolk Council, it will cost around £100,000, and the next stage will involve full consultation on the details, which is expected to take around a year. Meeting on Monday, members of the Town Council's Development and Planning Committee were told West Suffolk Council had insisted the authority underwrite the scheme, which meant it would have to pay up if it did not proceed. Deputy Mayor Councillor Michael Jeffries said he supported the scheme, but added, We are the only Town Council that has been asked to underwrite a residence parking zone, and it seems wrong that we have been singled out to put in £18,800 if it fails. In essence, the District Council doesn't trust us, and I am shocked we have been singled out in this way. Councillor James Lay added, We are not always treated as fairly as we should be by the West Suffolk Council. Councillor Andy Drummond, who is also a member of the West Suffolk Council, recommended the committee agreed to underwrite the scheme. He said, we agreed to underwrite it at the beginning as it failed before. Councillor John Harvey, a member of the original Town Council Working Group, which worked on the scheme, said, the bar for implementing a parking zone is set very high requiring more votes than some of us got to be elected. We want the residents of All Saints Ward to buy into this and we are optimistic the scheme will be implemented. The idea of parking zones is so prevented much needed parking spaces in residential areas being taken up by town centre visitors and workers. The Town Council's Parking Working Group was set up in response to residents' concern they were struggling to find somewhere to legally park close to their homes and were getting parking tickets as a result of civil parking enforcement. This next article is from local historian, author and tour guide Martin Taylor. Now repairs to the roof and redecoration is almost complete, the Athenaeum on Angel Hill can be seen in all its glory. Known as the New or White House in the early 18th century, the origins of this building can be traced back to medieval times. This was proven during a £600,000 refurbishment in 2006 when 15th century jetted 
timbers were discovered internally on the Athenium Lane site belonging to buildings abutting there. During the period of the hearth tax, 1662 to 1689, a large private three-storied house was listed here as having 17 hearths, one of the largest entries in the town. Owner Sir Roger Martin of Long Melford redesigned this house, being then known as the White House. In 1713, he sold it to dancing master John Eastland. Before it passed into the ownership of, in 1789, of the then landlord of the nearby Angel Hotel. George Anderson, he rebuilt the White House, removed one storey and added a fine Adam-style ballroom, renaming it the Assembly Rooms. When Anderson went bankrupt in 1801, Mr. St. Edmunds of his day, banker and notable local politician, James Oakes, came to the rescue by purchasing the building and, by 1804, using the services of Ickworth architect Francis Sandys, had remodelled, carried out with a billiard room, coffee room and later a public library. The shrewd Oaks went on to involve some of the other members of the 37-man corporation that had elected the two MPs very sent to Parliament selling off shares or subscriptions in 1806 to the foremost subscribers. This building became known as the New Subscription Rooms, part of which is still visible on the portico today. As the main entertainment centre for George and Bury, it figures prominently in the Oaks Diaries, a wonderful record of life amongst the upper echelons of society. In 1854, now called the Athenium, an eponymous club, still going today, was formed here with the Reverend Lord Arthur Hervey at the helm. Five years later, Charles Dickens was invited by the club to give a reading from his works at the Athenium, returning in 1861. Another famous speaker was George Bedell Airy, the Astronomer Royal, he so impressed the gathered intellectuals of Bury in 1858 that an observatory was established on the roof to acknowledge his visit. The Green Dome we see today as an aperture for the four-inch refracting telescope. In 1935, Bury St Edmunds Corporation purchased the Athenium, which has hosted many civic events in the wonderful ballroom over the years and which is now licensed to carry out weddings. Passenger taxi fares in West Suffolk could be increased following calls from drivers to meet rising costs. Fare rises of about 14% and changes to some tariff times have been recommended in West Suffolk Council's first review of the charges since 2019. They are to be discussed by the Council's Licensing Committee on Monday and could be introduced in October, following calls from taxi drivers who are struggling to cope with the cost of living crisis. Drivers are also facing a rise in fees and charges. They have to pay of between 27 and 33%, which authorities say it's necessary to pay for extra safety checks and administration. Councillor Andy Drummond, Cabinet Member for Regularity, which includes licensing, said, Our aim is for a thriving, safe, accessible fleet, and we recognise that the fares charged to passengers need to strike a balance. On one hand, they need to support the running costs associated with taxes so that they are viable, on the other, they also need to ensure, as best they can, that people who are reliant on them can still afford to use them. The proposed increases and changes include Tariff 1, from 6am to 10pm. For the first mile will cost £4.33, and each subsequent mile about £2.05p. Tariff 2 between 10pm and 6am on bank holidays 
and 6pm to midnight on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, the first mile costs £6.38, and each subsequent mile about £3.08p. Tariff 3 from midnight Christmas Eve to midnight Boxing Day and midnight New Year's Eve to midnight New Year's Day for the first mile will cost £8.66 and each subsequent mile about £3.60 for Zone A and £4.10 for Zone B. The following apply when vehicles are carrying five or more passengers. Tariff 4, 6am to 2pm for the first mile costs £6.33 and each subsequent mile about £3.08. Tariff 5, 10pm to 6am on a bank holiday and from 6pm to midnight on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve for the first mile costs £8.61 and each subsequent mile about £4.10. Tariff 6. From midnight Christmas Eve to midnight Boxing Day and midnight New Year's Eve to midnight New Year's Day for the first mile cost £12.94 and each subsequent mile about £5.65. £5. Now we're going to do some letters. And this is a letter from Don Black in Dis. Memories of Weatherden and Hawley. Sir... Graham's Day's description of the century service, centenary service for Weatherden Church organ, letters East Anglia Daily Times, June the 30th, brought back many memories. About 80 years ago, I cycled from Stowmarket to see Weatherden Church windows, shattered by blast after a bomb dropped in the next field. Later, my future wife began teaching at Weatherden School. Back in wartime, Friends and I climbed the tree, cloaked castle mound at Hawley, reaching it in a punt lent by the vicar, the Reverend W. Grange White. We found I and Thetford Castle mounds much easier to climb and roll down. Recently, like Graham, we saw that Hawley had lost none of its charm, including a bakery founded in the 18th century. We enjoyed the fine view of moat and church tower with fluttering flag. Thanks to a handy bench seat, all we missed was a family of ducks to complete the picture. And my first letter is actually written by the editor um, of the Berry Free Press and he is Barry Peters. And he writes, As fireworks popped in the cool night in air on Monday, American Independence Day was celebrated locally with a flourish. The rather more local Suffolk twist on this comes in the form of Independence Week. In Bury St Edmunds this is celebrated with particular relish, with special emphasis on the 300 or so independent businesses which pepper our medieval corner of West Suffolk. Whenever I talk fondly of why someone should visit Bury, the lure of the independent shops is one of the main reasons I always go to. Independents are what make the town special. They give it its unique flavour and they offer shoppers something different to the high streets you can find elsewhere across the length and breadth of the UK. Covid was tough, for those traders and businesses make no mistake. Of course, it was for all retail outlets, but the pressures of lockdowns and a curb on drop-in shoppers takes a huge toll when it's just you and a shop against the world. So, consider your buying choices now more than ever. An independent trader will always be delighted to welcome you, and in turn, you'll be keeping our town as vibrant as ever. My letter is from Mark Sutcliffe, Bilderstein. <clears throat> Perils of Populism Sir, I wrote to you in 2016 warning of the perils of populist politicians such as Trump and Johnson. My cry in the wilderness was not heeded and great damage has been done as a result. Trump was incompetent to the point of danger. Then, having been given his marching orders by the American people, he refused to accept the result and the rest is history. Johnson is no better, a man who not only overlooks the glaring flaws in himself, but also in others. 
Politicians come in for some serious flack, and it's not surprising that the job attracts some colourful characters. Genuine values are what matters. It is up to us, the electorate, to make sure we scrutinise parliamentary candidates rigorously. Voting just for a rosette is literally dangerous. William Wicks has sent an email and headset New Junction could solve problems. We all do it. If we do not want a person to use anything, we put it in a corner out of the way. This is how I see the connection the Suffolk Business Park has with Junction 45 of the A14. With Suffolk County Council saying it would expect an HGV travelling to Suffolk Business Park from the west to use Junction 44 as its shortest route, and its refusal to put restriction in means Junction 45 is not being used to its full potential. Restrictions could work for everyone if an HGV going to the business park used Junction 45 and an HGV going elsewhere used Junction 44. It would be better for both parties. The infrastructure on Suffolk Business Park has been designed for HGVs, but to get there they have to use the roads of Morton Hall, built over 30 years ago, after using Junction 44. HGVs go over the curve to get round the corner, moving sideways towards pedestrians using the crossing. If there are two HGVs between the lights, there is not much room for anyone else, and when you come out of the Sainsbury's car park, you cannot see if traffic is coming. When all this was built, there was no plan for it to be a route to a large business park. However, restrictions could make a 30-year-old route work for the community. We have housing developments popping up that will add traffic to Junction 44. Each developer will build infrastructure for its units. But when the last time that a major distributor road was built in the area to help congestion? If housing building carries on around Junction 44, there will be no space to build a distributor road. So it's time to stop kicking the can down the road and do something bold. Recently, you had an article in the Berry Free Press on West Suffolk local plan. But again, this does not look a good for Junction 44. There is a plan for housing on the south side of the A14, which means the, jun- jun- the, con- the junction would be surrounded. It would cost, but it is time to invest in that area, Berry, by building a Junction 44A, which could link up with the heart of Suffolk Business Park, while to the south it could link up with the A134 and Ruffham Hill. Traffic to and from the A14 from Sudbury would not have to use Junction 44. And from this road, you could drive to the back of the hospital or the new hospital on a new road. The lorry park could also be moved from the edge of the town, with houses all around it, to Junction 45 on the business park. Then sell the site for housing or a supermarket. We all believe we are lucky to live in Bury. But to keep it that way, all new house buildings should stop until investment can be found to keep the town moving. My next letter is from Sheila Philby Wozniak of Leyston. Provide a true picture. Sir, I have been waiting since last January for EDF, EDF to produce the correct picture of how Sizewall would look if it was built. The image you often show is, I believe, incorrect. Where are the huge pylons? Where is the permanent landing facility? Where are the enormous spoil heaps? Where is the proposed desalination plant? Where is the concrete wall surrounding the site? I hope EDF will provide a true picture as soon as possible and not keep the public in the dark any longer. John Collinson has also sent in an email and he's asking for help um, on an interest in a shop's history. Read the interesting article about Churchgate Street, Berry St Edmunds, a Berry Free Press, June the 24th. I have a personal interest in Abbeygate Street, 
during the period of the early 1900s prior to 1927. My grandfather, W.C. Collinson, had a gentleman's outfitter shop, I believe at number 29. He sold up to A.J. Ridley in about 1927. I would be very interested in getting any information about the shop. W.C. Collinson married the daughter of W.R. Quant, who was part of the Quant Boot and Shoemakers at number 49 Abbeygate Street, which is much better documented, but would still be of interest. Any help or information would be much appreciated. Now we're going to cover some general items again. Sculpture cast light on pilgrims. Medieval pilgrims who visited the Shrine of St Edmund in the Abbey are depicted in the latest Abbey 1000 sculpture to go on display. During 2021, John Williams spent six months opposite the Abbey Gardens, Avery, carving the sculpture from pine donated by Knighton Park. The finished sculpture, which is on display on the plinth in the crypt of the Abbey Ruins for a month, depicts a variety of medieval pilgrims who visited the shrine throughout the centuries, with John creating the shape of the sculpture to reflect the contours of the ruins. He said, I carved an Edmund figure before lockdown, and after that experience I really wanted to be with people, not in my little isolated studio. So I jumped at the opportunity to go back to the Abbey Gardens and make a whole new people-based carving. Each figure is carved and hollowed out, revealing the fragile nature of faith itself. The best time to see this group is when the sun is out and its rays cast a different light on each pilgrim. Melanie Lesser of Abbey 1000 said, We're delighted John took the commission and created such a thought-provoking sculpture. A village fete saw hundreds come together to enjoy a day full of fun. On Saturday, the Webstead Summer Fete took place at the Village Community Centre. Organised by the Webstead Community Association, the fete offered visitors the chance to enjoy vintage cars, live music, military vehicles and face painting. There was also a dog show that featured ten different classes, including categories such as cutest puppy, golden oldies, most appealing eyes and waggiest tail. Di Howe, treasurer and booking secretary, said, It was brilliant. It was our first fete since 2019 and we were blessed with brilliant weather. The dog show was absolutely fantastic. It was such good fun. Alongside the dog show, there were refreshments in the community centre, an ice cream van, a barbecue and a karate demonstration. Di said, we had 160 sausages on the barbecue and we managed to sell out on all of them and the hot dogs burgers. We ended up with just veggie burgers left over. There was also plenty of activities for children to enjoy. There were games, a children's tombola, face painting and a Punch and Judy performance. Vehicles from the World War II also made an appearance at the fete. This included an AM3 half-track and a vintage Jeep from the war. Other vehicles included a Ford pickup truck and other classic vehicles. Di said she was surprised by just how popular the event proved to be. <coughs> she said, we must have had more than 200 people turn up for it. We have a car park that normally holds roughly 45 cars, but then we used the field for parking, which was completely full too. All money raised for the event is being put towards the roof fund that aims to rebuild the um, and update the community centre's roof. Di added, it's going to cost us more than £100,000 to replace the roof, so we're hoping we've raised a good amount from the fate. An East Suffolk landmark has been named as the winner of a prestigious tourism award. Woodbridge Tidemill Museum was recognised as the 2022 Traveller's Choice winner by TripAdvisor. The museum was praised for consistently delivering positive experiences to guests. 
the award is given to businesses across the globe that have received great reviews on the travel website over the last 12 months. And the River Demon site has gathered over 200 excellent reviews so far. Woodbridge's Tide Mill is one of only two in the country still producing stone ground wholemeal flour and is more than 220 years old. However, the earliest known mill on the site was built in the 12th century, making it one of Suffolk's most historic places to visit. John Carrington, chair of the Woodbridge Tide Mill Charitable Trust, said, The last year has presented some challenges, but the Tide Mill team has maintained both physical and online service to visitors, and that has borne fruit. Visitor numbers have recovered to pre-pandemic levels, as reflected by this award. We have used the experience to increase research and boost our knowledge about our customers and what they want from us. This will allow us to maintain visitor growth. The trustees are immensely grateful for the work our team has done to justify this award. Kanaka Sony, Chief Commercial Officer at TripAdvisor, said, Congratulations to the 2022 TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice winners. The Traveller's Choice Awards recognise the best in tourism and hospitality, according to those who matter most, your guests. Ranking among the Traveller's Choice winners is always tough, but never more so than this year, as we emerge from the pandemic. Whether it's using new technology, implementing safety measures, or hiring outstanding staff, I'm impressed by the steps you've taken to meet travellers' new demands. You've adapted brilliantly in the face of adversity. A fiercely independent Bury St Edmunds care home resident has celebrated her 103rd birthday plans to fly in a glider later this year to mark the occasion. Alwyn Hopkins, who lives at Davis Court in Shakers Lane, enjoyed a special afternoon tea for the festivities while staff decorated the home with birthday balloons. But later this year, she plans to take the skies in, in a glider, a feat she has tried for her 99th birthday to overcome a long-held fear of flying and to take a wish off her bucket list. She said, I had a wonderful birthday. The sun was shining and I loved being able to get out in the good weather and see my friends to celebrate. Born in Wells in 1919 before moving to Portsmouth, aged 11, Alwyn left school at 15 as the Second World War began and began her first job in the Admiralty. On Brighton Pier, she met her husband, David, who worked for the commissioners at 11 Downing Street. Alwyn went to tea at number 10 with David many times and even attended a garden party at Buckingham Palace where she met the Queen. The couple were unable to have children so Alwyn Cluse chose to love the children of her friends and family instead often driving all over the country to see them. After retirement Alwyn spent even more time with loved ones and her many adopted grandchildren and regularly received more than a hundred Christmas cards every year. She continued to drive until the age of 92 and lived at home until she was 98. In 2017, Alwyn moved to Davis Court, where she celebrated her 99th birthday in style, when the team arranged for her flight in a glider from an airfield in Felsham, with support from Rattleston Gliding Club. She said she had no idea what the secret to her long life was, but she was fiercely independent and always optimistic. And I have to say, I have a lovely photograph of her smiling away in, that was taken in 2018 with all the gear on to strap her in inside her glider. No, it's lovely. Some of the best kept secrets in Bury St Edmunds were revealed in all their glory on Sunday as hidden gardens across the town centre opened to the public to raise funds for charity. 
In aid of St Nicholas Hospice Care, the annual Hidden Gardens of Bury event featured around 30 gardens, most of which are usually hidden behind brick walls and tall wooden gates. From 11am to 5pm, visitors were able to peek behind usually closed doors to find secret patios and an abundance of flora and fauna. George Chilvers of St Nicholas Hospice Care said, I am pleased this year's Hidden Gardens has been such a success and an amazing fundraiser for St Nicholas Hospice Care. Every penny will make a difference to the charity and those we support facing dying, caring and grief. I'd like to thank everyone who supported Sunday's event. It was brilliant to see everyone enjoying themselves in the sunshine. A big thank you must go to our excellent hosts who kindly opened their gardens for us. Without them, there wouldn't be an event and we are grateful. All of the gardens were outstanding and I am happy to so that so many people had the chance to enjoy them. And now um, I have something that is completely different from news. It's a bit spooky, really, but high-spirited paranormal pub regular wrecks havoc. Staff and customers at a new market pub have been left spooked after a spate of ghostly goings-on in the bar. Georgina Sampson, landlady at the New Wellington in Cheveley Road, said she is convinced a ghost is responsible for beer glasses spontaneously smashing, perhaps due to its preferences for spirits. Georgina has had a glass break neatly in half in her hand while she was pouring a pint as recently as last Saturday. On other occasions, a glass was seen to slide off a table in the bar without being touched. On the same table, Georgina, who has been landlady for 11 years, said a pint of beer had suddenly shattered for no apparent reason, with both incidents having been caught on the pub CCTV. It is mainly glasses smashing, but we have definitely felt like we've seen something to pass us several times before, like a shadow or presence, she said. We've all got used to it now, and I don't think it's a nasty ghost, said Georgina, who is no stranger to pint pulling. I believe in ghosts ever since I witnessed one in my old pub, but this has convinced me more. Those customers who witnessed the breaking glasses were shocked and very confused by it. I think people always try and talk themselves out of it, like, well, there must be a logical answer, and some say, I must have put cold beer in a hot glass, but I know I didn't. The pint that shattered on the table had been sat there ten minutes. It's certainly become a talking point among customers, and my mum just said she heard some funny noises yesterday too, which could be related. We had the camera installed 18 months ago, so we've noticed things more on the footage, whereas previously we may not have thought much of a broken glass and just thought someone had knocked it over. Spooky. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> and now it's my turn to do something different. And this one is uh, an article on The Village Show, that great English tradition. From June onwards, the weather grows warmer and the village show season comes upon us in full force. Whether your town or village calls it a fete, a fair, or F-A-Y-R-E, or a fundraiser, the village show is most assuredly an English tradition. They vary from place to place, but more often than not, a show comprises an afternoon packed with teas, cake stall, vegetable and flower growing competition, local cake bakers vying for first place. Children's drawing, painting contests, pet shows, in essence, it is an astonishing celebration of amateur talent. Quite frankly, the Great British Bake Off and Lockdown have a lot to answer for. The number of entries into the baking section of the shows has swelled. Suddenly the whole world wants to try their hand at baking and master the technical challenge. And why not? A standard recipe is supplied which tests some culinary skill, tin lining, folding, rolling, and the competitor is charged with producing their own, very best version. 
It is somewhat daunting to turn up on the morning of the show armed with your offering to discover that all the entries look different. However, there is nothing nicer than spending a warm, sunny afternoon wandering around the show, reading the judges' comments, chatting with neighbours and friends, indulging in an afternoon tea, enjoying whatever music or entertainment is provided. Spare a thought for the Behind the Scenes Committee, who spend hours preparing the show schedule, persuading judges to judge, debating the tablecloths and haranguing friends and family to donate to the raffle. Theirs is an unenviable task, but it is thanks to them this wonderful English tradition continues. Make sure you support your local village show this summer. Definitely go along and scoff the tea and cake. But why not enter and have a go at various competitions? Encourage the kids to enter as well. Who knows, you might even scoop a prize or two. Well, Sue, have you ever suffered from soggy bottoms? (laughs) Hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think we've just got a few minutes left and we're going to just read some short, uh, more general articles. And this one is is rather lovely. It's uh, about a farm that offers well-being sessions. And it's about the Deben Care Farm, which offers therapeutic placements to adults with learning disabilities, has launched drop-in sessions for people to do gardening, crafts, gentle yoga, aromatherapy and guided walks. There will also be the opportunity to chat to other attendees while having a cup of tea and a slice of cake. The sessions are open to those recovering from mental health issues those wanting to develop social skills, people who are lonely or people with mild learning disabilities. Director Tim Freethy said, People have been really loving it. They really love the gentle, welcoming atmosphere. I would encourage everyone to come and have a go. The sessions will take place every Saturday, 10am to 2pm, and people are invited to leave a donation of £5. And the last item here is New Cinema Noise Report Published. A noise report in relation to a proposed new cinema in Bury St Edmunds has found neighbours should not be disturbed by sound from the enterprise. The Environmental Health and Housing Team at West Suffolk Council requested a noise assessment be carried out to consider the impact of the planned Everyman Cinema in the basement of the former Debenhams building at the Ark Shopping Centre. Potential noise and disturbance from the new cinema, which is pending a planning decision, has been a key concern from neighbours to the building. RBA Acoustics was commissioned to undertake noise monitoring at the site in Charter Square. It said an assessment of noise breakout from the cinema operation, as well as dispersal noise, indicate that neither of these areas will cause undue disturbances to the resounding surrounding residential receptors. Uh, just before we sign off um, and talking about noise, we would just like to apologise for any noises you probably heard at the beginning of this recording. It, it's something that is happening outside our recording uh, studio and totally beyond our control, So, but at least it did stop after a while. So, yes, we have come to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury Newstalk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. And I can promise you they all do get read. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, the East Anglia Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and the Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News back, news talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Ruth and from Graham and from me, Sue, it's goodbye. Goodbye.
You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.